What's going on, everybody? This is Black Men Sundays. I'm your host, Corey Sylvester Murray. We're talking about generational wealth. We're talking about finance. We're talking about business. And before we get to today's guest, my man, Eric, who do you have for our Black Men Sunday spotlight, my brother? Today, Corey, um, I'm just kind of, again, want to emphasize some things that it's no accident that we didn't learn about. And I'm starting with this. Um, it is no accident that you learned about Helen Keller instead of W.E.B. Du Bois. It's no accident that you learned about the Watts and the L.A. riots, but not the Tulsa or Wilmington. You learned about George Washington's dentures were made from wood rather than there was actual teeth from slaves. You learned about the black ghetto, but not about the black Wall Street. It's no accident that you learned about the New Deal, but not red lining. You learned about the Tommy Smith fist in the air at the 68 Olympics. You did not learn about that he was sent home the next day and stripped of his medals. You learned about the black crime, but not white criminals were never lumped together and discussed in terms of their race. You learned about the state's rights as the cause of the, of the Civil War, I'm sorry, but not about the slavery was mentioned 80 times in the Articles of Secession. You know, privilege is having history rewritten so that you don't have to acknowledge uncomfortable facts. And that's my spotlight for today. Thank you, Eric, for that Black Men Sunday spotlight. Let's get on to today's guest, Marsha Robbins. This sister here has a Bachelor of Arts in Theater Management. That's gonna play a major part in our show today. She has a master's in elementary education. But you know, this Black Men Sunday, we talk about finance, generational wealth. She's the founder and the executive director of Dramatic Education Incorporated. Let's talk about that a little bit. First off, Marsha, I wanna welcome you to Black Men Sunday. Sister, how you doing today? Doing well, doing well. Thank you for having me. Definitely. So let's start out. What is Dramatic Education Incorporated? Dramatic Education is an educational arts company. So we partner with public schools, charter schools, private schools, and organizations to bring arts and entertainment um, with students, pretty much kindergarten through 12th grade. So that can look like drama classes, music classes, dance classes, education courses, teacher um, workshops, arts and integration, um, just among other activities outside the school day. So not, not your reading and your math. We leave that to the professionals. We take care of the, the enrichment. Gotcha. Yeah. And just, you know, me doing my research on you, I noticed you had a few positions open. I said, oh, she's hiring for that. And also, let me just educate you guys a little bit. We're talking about Marsha Robbins here. She utilized documented research findings about arts to assist children in developing personal and social skills. So let's talk about some of those findings before we dive into the business ventures. So very early on, my background, like you said, was uh, entertainment, but also I have a master's in education and I taught very, I mean, my first year in, I could see where that missing link was between um, students learning and how well they did in the classroom, which was that confidence piece, that speaking out piece. So, um, you know, people think of theater and drama, you know, being on stage and on television, that is important, of course, right? That's our entertainment that we watch, but it's also important to develop that um, in the earlier years. And I found that if you develop it uh, socially, emotionally, in all the developments, that kids, they are the kids that raise their hand, right? You're the kid that's speaking out in class, you're on radio, right? You're the ones that saying, hey, or talk, you know, telling the jokes. 
and you got to find a place in the classroom for it. Um, and then sometimes your shyer students may not be doing well in the classroom. And then we found that arts and entertainment brought out um, that educational aspect in the school system. Coming up, why was that a passion for you? Uh, well, I was that, that student that got in trouble. Both my parents are educators. And I actually uh, went to school with my mother. So when I got in trouble, they would send you know, old school, they would send you to your mother's classroom, right? And don't even bypass the principal's office, just go straight, go down to your mother's classroom. Um, and it was my fourth grade teacher that says, has she thought about doing theater? And my mom was like, mm -hmm. you know, one of the entertainment is not something that you see in, in predominantly uh, black schools or, you know, in elementary schools at that. And I tried out for a, a magnet program in South Florida and I got into the, and that's what I was introduced to the arts. So I had a place for my voice. I had a place for the speaking out. I had a place for being silly and funny in class, right? So I had a place that gave me a direction. So then my reading and math scores went up because I had a, a classroom that I could, you know, have creativity. And so it was that balance that led me to, you know, amongst other things that led me to where I am right now. So let's talk about dramatic education. You know, we've talked about what it is, but I noticed in my research, you have over 130 employees and you're hiring over 20 staffing positions. So let's talk about that on Black Men Sundays. My company over the last 17 years has grown. We started with one, right? And then it went from 15 and then we, we kind of hovered at that 20 mark. And then there was an opportunity for us to um, partner with a large school district. And now we provide services in 22 plus schools. And that's before care and after care enrichment programs. And through that contract, we service, we hire over 134 employees. And right now, of course, it's back to school time. So everybody, whether you start in the next two weeks or you start in the next month in our up north schools, you know, we got to get teachers in place. We got to get staff members in place. So we are still looking for 20 additional, we call them uh, after school uh, staff counselors. And so they help with homework and they help with um, enrichment activities. So it's perfect for post a uh, high school graduate uh, or your college student who's looking for about 20 hours a week or your retiree who wants to make an impact in the community. We, I mean, we have all ranges in our age, but, you know, most of our staff members that are doing these roles are between the ages of probably about 20 to, um, you know, th early 30s. Check us out online and click the um, hiring tab and see what different opportunities we have. We also have some uh, management available as well, um, but the bulk of our um, hirees are, are from our after-school teacher counselors. Definitely. And how can they get in contact with you? Uh, we're on all social media platforms. So if you, dramaticeducation.com, um, on Twitter, we're arts in the school, we're, we have Instagram, um, DE education. But if you type in dramatic education, it'll pull it up and just click on that hiring tab or just click on, just kind of poke around and see what we do out in the in the community. Yeah, and I definitely noticed you do a lot in the community. I saw a few of the anchors from the station that I work with um, reposting and I saw the awards and the accolades that you won, but we'll talk about that later. First off, you know, we're talking about Marshall Robbins as an educator right now. We're gonna get into the business side in a second, but before we do that, fellas, any questions? Hey, this is Commissioner Scott from Atlanta, Georgia. How you doing? How you doing? I got one quick question. What has mm -hmm. been the biggest challenge uh, that you've overcome while fundraising for your nonprofit? 
start with one employee initially. Um, so the one thing I always have to address, you know, um, many people ask, am I for-profit or non-profit? We're for-profit. Um, and that was very strategic going in. Of course, when you think theater, theater is always non-profit 501c3. Um, but there's the good and the bad and the, and the ugly to having nonprofit organizations that I learned very um, early on. So when we, we started out, I was strategic with, you know what, sports, that's for profit, right? Ballet, that's for profit, right? So it's like, well, why do I have to be, you know, nonprofit? So I kind of did my research and we, we started off with parents. If you want it, you got to pay for it, right? And start off small, Right. And, and, you know, something that is worth investing in. Right. You talk about investment. If it's worth investing, investing in, you're going to put your money where where your mouth is. And, you know, on the flip side of nonprofit, when you're starting early on um, getting nonprofit dollars, which you're you know, you were saying it's very hard to get. Right. They want to know your reach. They want to know your impact. So if you're saying I have this great idea and it, it can impact thousands, but right now you're impacting 10 that grant that comes in is only about $10,000, right? And then it, it gets exhausted. So I said, okay, well, let's, let's, let's do this on the, the flip side, you know, because my private schools, my charter schools and public schools, they're already nonprofit. Um, so, you know, it was, it was easily strategically to kind of filter my, my way in and say, you need a service that I can provide and you already have the status. Right. And now you have to pay me for this service because, you know, my service does have a social uh, social entrepreneurship piece to it. So it's not just greed, um, but it, it, it benefits that I didn't have to go after the same dollars that they're going after. Um, so that's kind of how I strategically kind of went from one. And then once we you know, I had one myself and I had my, and then I couldn't do it anymore and I had the funding, then I had 10, 20 students. Now I need two. And then you got 50 students, now you need three. And then you have a thousand students and now you need a lot more than that. Okay, thanks. So uh, you say you did have some uh, nonprofits prior to this business, right? Here's an age old question, because uh, a lot of people start nonprofits. They want to be the executive director and pay themselves a salary, right? So how did you determine the salaries of the staff members in your nonprofit organizations that you've been in or your you as an executive director? Well, I'll tell you, you, you don't. like just the the nugget one-on-one -on -one coming in you do not pay yourself right every and so I know it's some you know they say it's a myth you have to pay yourself you have to eat but the reality is in order for your nonprofit to sustain perhaps that first you know few years of ground starter up um, there is no salary for your executives not at the top level you know where your salaries actually come from on that bottom level you're, you're the ones that are in the field, like you're the, you're the concept, you're the idea, right? You have to feed, you know, the idea to flourish. So really you got to start with paying all your, I would say your entry level coming in so that they're able to sustain. You'll get to the point where you're able to um, give yourself a salary, but initially starting off when you get the nonprofit dollars coming in, it's designated right? It'll say you have to spend it on this and then you have to spend it on, you know, the staff and then the programming is the bulk, right? So you have to put all those dollars back into the programming. So there's very little room. And if you do carve out, they allow, um, I forgot what that percentage is, you know, they allow that percentage to be for your administrative costs. 
but your administrative cost is your pens and your pencils and your building and your uh, running around and everybody who needs to help you get done what needs to get done. So I would say that, you know, going into all, you know, my nonprofits out there, don't, don't build your salary first, build it last, build your team salary, right? You know, you can designate 10 weeks of this to this person or 25 weeks, build that all out and then look at the bottom. And then once you get another grant, all those 10% add up, then there become there, there's your salary. And, you know, but that comes down the line. If you start that way, the backwards way, you'll, your nonprofit will be scraping by for a very long time. You're launching a co-op office in Winter Park, Florida, and you're expanding your business after being a former educator. So let's just talk about the steps that went into that, the ideas, because as Black people, I feel like a lot of times we have ideas, we want to do X, Y, Z, but then we don't really do anything because we put so much on the plate that is so full that we're not getting enrichment. So from your point of view, being an educator, just what went into the next steps of launching a business? Really, it was uh, the idea, right? So, you know, I've always been an entrepreneur at heart. Um, it was always, you know, instilled in me. Um, but of course, you take that traditional route. So I had an entertainment degree. And again, that was still non-traditional. And then me teaching was a traditional route. Um, but I, that finding that nugget of what was missing in education. And I, I say in general, with any business idea, right, there has to be something that's missing or something that you can, you can add to that somebody else uh, wants or needs. And that's, that's kind of where it stemmed. And I, I had fun with it. I was like, and at first it was, it was a, just a passion, right? It was without cost. It was just something like, hmm, let's see if this will work. And as it started to work, right, started with um, just a club after school and just, you know, free, you know, I got a little stipend and, but the kids didn't pay anything, but that spark in their eyes, I was like, oh, okay. And then I started to use it and I taught third grade. So anybody who teaches third grade or, you know, if you have a third grader, you know that third grade is a testing grade across, you know, nationally. Um, that is where, you know, you're going from learning to read to understanding and comprehending and they want you to test on that in order to go to the next grade. And I started to use theater in the classroom. That's where that research, when I was working on my master's, that's where the research came into play. I had, you know, English language learners, ELL students, or, you know, the ones who didn't speak English as their first language, I said, if you can play as you're reading, if you can play this in your mind, you'll understand what you're reading. So Jack can't just be Jack you don't know. Jack is in a movie and you have to, you know, so I took a student who didn't speak any English and she passed the test. I was like, that's it. I got it. I know what it takes for kids to be successful using arts and entertainment. And it kind of bloomed from, from there. So how do you determine what a student's particular learning style is? You can, you can tell, like, if you, be, you have to build that relationship, you know, and coming in, you know, you have kids that are visual, you know, kids that, you know, some kids have to read it first. So that is why it's important. We put our schedules on the board. So you like to know, you know, you might be that kid, like, what's going to happen next? What's going to happen next? Like, you're, you're worried about the next, right? So we put the schedule on the board, like, there's a rhyme and a reason for everything that we do, um, you know, 
in education. So um, just learn, and I taught gifted. So my kids already came in knowing, you know, throughout my time, you know, they knew what they needed to know. And so it was like, so now how can I expand on what their interests were? Because they was like, I can, I can do this third grade work. So we were learning about anything under the sun. And that's where, you know, the true art of teaching comes in, right? Learning your students and, lo- and learning how they learn and talking with the parents because they know them best. And then just trying to find that, that spot for them that they can fit, right? And every kid is not going to be your, your drama kid. And that's not what we're trying to do. We're just doing the exposure because every kid does need to ask a question, right? Every kid does need to speak up when they don't understand something. So if we can just take some of those pieces that come from arts and entertainment and kind of merge them into education, that's where that sweet spot is for um, for students. Well, it's interesting. I learned uh, I have a mentor named Mabel Robinson. I don't know if you ever heard of her, but um, she played in Harlem, Cotton Comes to Harlem. She actually choreographed the Wiz with Michael Jackson, but she oh, was yes, the, yes, yes. she was the artistic director in uh, at the Black National Black uh, repertory company that produced the National Black Theater Festival. And uh, one thing she told me, I was actually a project director there for a summer. And she said, Corey, she said, I know you're an engineer and you're about to go back into the engineering profession. She said, understand that that's a role and you need to play the role of an engineer when you go back to your next job, right? So I think sometimes we don't understand the importance of the artistic field and teaching these, these students how to play the roles that they're going to be getting to for the professional career. So I think it's great you're doing that. Keep up the great work. Definitely, definitely. And I know it's Black Men Sunday. So I have to say, like you guys have me on as a guest and I'm thankful, but I do have a black man by my side that when I had this crazy idea, right? I was an eight year in, carried the insurance, had my five-year-old and I said, I want to leave. You know, I had to have that black man say, oh, oh, oh. As long as you don't get the cable cut off. I said, all right, if all I got to do is take care of the cable bill, I got you. And so that was, you know, so I was able to step away and he kind of carried it all. You know, it got, we, it got hard sometimes, but I, I said, you only told me I got to keep the cable on. So I think we had the cable bill and we was eating on beanies and weenies because, you know, back in the day it was cable. Now we got all these streaming platforms, but um, yeah, so no, so I, I appreciate being on, but there's definitely a partnership. I know when we get to the business side, there's a partnership that went into how I was successful that's leading to now our family being successful. For other teachers, for brothers, for sisters that have some money to play with, but they're not really in the investments of real estate. You know, Black Men's Sundays, we've had a lot of real estate agents real estate investors, guys that got rich off real estate. So, but we're talking to Marshall Robbins today. So from your point of view, because you're in Winter Park, Florida, I mean, if anybody that knows anything about Orlando, it's, it's a hot commodity. It's a hot property at the same time. So, you know, we talked about the mindset earlier, but financially, just, you know, give some advice for some brothers and sisters that may want to take on a venture as well outside of their nine to five. The opportunity kind of pushed our way. Um, We always wanted to have a space. And I can tell you, we started off, you know, well, Dramatic Ed started off in the home, right? I had, you know, close employees came to the home. Then um, 
15 plus years ago, it wasn't as popular as it is now working in a co-op space where you rented an office uh, for a couple of hours, you got in there an hour before, you put the paintings on the wall, you put your sign on the door, and then you, you held your interviews um, there as if that was your space, right? Um, and then I got I outgrew that space, and then I uh, went into a, a space. I remember like it was yesterday. It was a 500-square-foot space. I think it cost me $500 a month at that time. I was like, woo! You know, and that was my first introduction to that that real estate side because the person who rented me the building this is where the god moment was he uh he was a big real estate mogul in orlando you could if you said his name anywhere they knew you know you know they knew who he was he was attached to multi deals he had commercial properties and i just used to sit in his office he's in his late 80s now he retired and so that building but I used to just sit in his office and I used to just collect all the gems and the jewels. His dad owned real estate, which passed it on to him. And I just was like, so how can I do it, right? How can I have a piece? Um, and at that moment, of course, I didn't know how that piece was gonna happen, but it was always in the back of our, our mind. Um, I, I did buy a, a condo earlier on in my, before I was married. So, you know, a, you know setting, setting yourself up for good practices, I would say early on. And then when my husband and I, we, we purchased a, another home together. So now we have two homes. And then when we are interested, you know, that's when um, the real estate investor was like, so now you use that collateral. And then, you know, right now, real estate is on fire, right? And then we were thinking about uh, selling our home and renting. We were like, let's get the cash. We don't know what we're going to do with it. Let's just go ahead and sell our, you know, sell this home. We can make this amount of money on it. And then we can use that to platform somewhere else, but we couldn't. And we just kept hitting brick wall after brick wall after brick wall. And I said, well, let's just pull the house, forget it. And my landlord came to me because now I've moved into a 2,500 square foot space and, you know, real estate is booming. He said, you know what? I want to turn your space and the spaces next to you into commercial, um, into high rises. So now I don't have a space and now I have to find a space. And so I said, well, let's see if we can purchase a space. And we started looking. And when I say this building had our name on it, I'm actually in the building as we speak. It had our name on it. Um, it was in, it's in a, a great area, um, an affluent neighborhood is also, you know, arts and entertainment is just well known, you know, art. In the, you know, we got an art school down the road, got Starbucks. It's just a, a great, and when we put our offer in without hesitation, I was shocked because everything else we had been bidding on, we were getting outbidded. And I telling you this had our name on it because she, she just Googled the company and she's like, I had three offers, but I'm going to go with you. And, um, but just having you, but you got to set yourself up to have that strong financial backing because of course, you know, they start pulling and they start seeing you, you trying to be in this neighborhood. Can, can, you, can you uphold the value? And, and, and we have, so we're in, we did some renovations on the space. We kind of elevated um, and added a little bit more spice to, to, to where we are, but you know, here we are. So our upstairs is for the administration of dramatic education and our downstairs um, does a lot, does training, it does events, it does co-ops, it does, you know, small gatherings, it has a tech, you know, a technology room, and it just, it's just kind of like a multifunctional space for, and we call it the creative center, 
because that's exactly what we want it to be, a creative center um, for the city of Winter Park. Commissioner Scott from Atlanta again, got a one quick question. A lot of times I think we focus on, uh, you know, individual personal uh, investments as far as having brokerage accounts or, you know, mutual funds. For your business, have you set up or will you set up a brokerage account for your business or a trust or anything uh, to pass on a generational wealth once you're uh, you know, gone? Kind of gave it some thought. So that's twofold, right? Um, on the business side, you know, people talk about ESOP, you know, employee shared uh, plan, you know, that's more so because what was built was built on some great employees that believed in the vision, right? And as we continue to expand, not just here, uh, Central Florida, but nationally, we have some different opportunities. I, I want the employees kind of to reap the benefits of what dramatic education is doing. Then on the side of the building, right, that, you know, my husband and I, that we purchased. So dramatic ed rents from, you know, our separate entity, which, you know, a real estate company that we, that we, um, we put the building in so that we can set up, right? So that I, I want to create generational wealth with that piece, because who knows, you know, my, my daughter or my children, they may not want to take over dramatic education, right? Or it may not be in their plans. My husband has a, you know, a commercial cleaning company, you know, she may not want to go on that, that lines, but real estate is something that it doesn't matter what industry you're in, right? Everybody's dibbling a little bit in the real estate. And I took that nugget from, you know, the real estate investor that, you know, I rented from years ago, his father brought a, a big property um, out in Winter Park, Florida. When he passed, he, he passed it on to his, his wife. When she passed, she passed it to him. And of course the building is paid free and clear. And now uh, a large company, a national company is renting that building and has for over 15 years. And that, that rental is going to his kids and grandkids. So when the money comes in, he already, so 10 plus years ago, he put that in my head. So now he, all he does is he just goes into their account. That could be for new sneakers, or it could be for a car payment, or it could be for something, you know, you know, down the line, but that building is in a trust. So that building is going to make generational wealth for his family, whichever direction that they choose. And that's what I want to do with this particular building that it's separate from dramatic education, because this, this, you know, it's a business, it can be sold, it can, it can, it can expand, it can, it can dissolve. You, you just don't know what the future holds with it. Thanks for that info. Cause I was watching a documentary and it talked about the difference between the Vanderbilt's and the Rockefeller's and how the Vanderbilt's they end up going broke, but the Rockefeller's they keep passing wealth down for generations and generations because of something similar that they put in place uh, via trust. Thanks for the info though. In my family, we're talking about generational wealth. Typically the family member passes away. They typically sell the house or the whatever, and then they go their separate ways. But I feel like with you, you're establishing generational wealth from what the term was derived from. So if you can just expound a little bit more on that, because a lot of our listeners want to achieve generational wealth. They believe in stocks. They believe in investing. But with the property that you have and with, and with what you're doing with it, if you can just talk a little deeper about just how generationally you're going to help. Yes, and, and you're absolutely correct, because when we think genera uh, generational wealth, I say we as in our, our community, we think just us or, or just our downline, one downline, right? Um, but we're not thinking, you know, many, many years past 
um, past us because um, my husband's family is from Florida Keys. Now you, I, I don't know about you. I don't know how many black people you know live in the Florida Keys, but um, there was a community and there's still a, a community there in Marathon where they, their property, once the grandparents passed on, they sold it. And, you know, just think about now what it costs to live in the Florida Keys, right? So it's just, I would say generational wealth in general is just passing on beyond what you can see, you know, not thinking about anything that you're going to be able to reap in this generation, right? It has to be past you. So you may, you may not, I may not see the glory days. Well, I'm doing pretty well, but, you know, it might be my great, 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 great grandkids that say, you know, this is what she did and it set up this and it set up that. And that's what we have to kind of look at when we're looking at generational rep. Well, like, can we set up multiple um, properties that's in a trust, right? That, that, that no one can touch, that just has to keep getting passed down and passed down. But that's hard to do. Sometimes we don't even want to do life insurance because you think it's somebody going to kill you off, right? And you're like, no, but, you know, just that small piece will set up. That's that's immediate. That sets up the next person, your spouse or your children or, you know, maybe your great grandchildren. But then going beyond that, um, you know, it's looking at generational wealth. Generational wealth isn't something passed down. It's okay. They passed away. You want the couch, you want the sofa, you want this and that, come get it. We're selling the house. That's how generational wealth was presented to me. But then when I have family members that live up north who don't own anything, been in the same house since the 70s, you move out, you don't, there's nothing to come from that. So I guess I really, you know, because this Black Men's Sundays and we, we talking to brothers 18 and 55, I really want you to touch on the importance of generational wealth in the Black community, because I look at family members that have had properties in Miami, had properties in South Florida, mm -hmm. and, you know, mm -hmm. they didn't really have a job, they didn't really have a lot going on. So someone came to say, hey, I'll give you a hundred grand cash for your property, not realizing the property is worth 400000 but they took the money and moved out. And I feel like generationally, we're catching losses from that perspective. So can you touch on that for us? And, you know, that's one of those topics that, you you know, it, it just depends on the person, because if if grandmother or mother left you something and, and you financially can't even do anything with it, I mean, you're just not going to be able to pass down. Right. But I think now with knowledge, we understand if we can just hold on to it and create a rental income out of it. And I think now more than ever, you know, the knowledge is out there, right? You know, you're talking 20 plus years ago, we maybe didn't have all of this information, Black Men Sundays and, and things like that at your fingertips. So for me, it just starts with one family at a time, you know, you know, and I learn, you, and you got to learn from somebody else who learns from somebody else. So, you know, my brother, he sets up, he's setting up generational wealth for his family. But when you sit around and we, you know, you, you, you're eating barbecue with your family, I think we have to pause and, and have these conversations because that's the one thing that I get on my family all the time. I say, yeah, it's good to catch up on your life and, and the gossip of who did what, but let's take a, let's carve out just a little bit and, and talk about what can we do to further as a family. Like, and, and, you know, of course that gets deep and everybody has different perspectives, 
But if we all can just keep having these conversations, like what you're, you, you know, you're putting in the community, but now let's take these same um, Black Men Sunday, let's have it Family Sundays, you know, take that same information that you're hearing and just say, hey, you know what, I just heard, let's talk about it. What is a, what does generational wealth mean for our family? Grandma, do you have a piece of land you want me to hold on to? Can we put some cabins? Can we put some trailers on it? Right? Like, you know, my, my father had a um, mother has a piece of property um, that there no one wants to deal with. And then one of the cousins did something and now she put you put a few trailers on it, you know, out in the country. Sometimes you're just paying the taxes on the land and you and you know, I don't want to be bothered. But if you're thinking about how this is going to benefit our family as a whole, you know, like the Hilton name, you're sleeping in the Hilton bed. That's a generational wealth. So if you can build something, even if it's a two-family home on a piece of property and you put your name on that fence that says Robbins or Culver's or Howell on it, you just created something for somebody else. Now, I can't tell you what you can do with it once I've passed on, but that's when you put those, those practice in place trust um, that commissioner was you know, speaking of so that it can pass on the right way. But even beyond when you start getting technical and you need lawyers and things like that, just those small things of just having the conversation of what does it mean in our family and what can we pass on and not just, you know, grandmother's recipes, right? Let's pass on some land. Let's pass on some, some of that wisdom. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's those tough conversations and we, gotta, we have to have them. We have to have them beyond, beyond what we're doing. Yes. And speaking of those tough conversations, we're Black men on here. What's the problem with Black men in our community today from your point of view? I would say, be from an educator standpoint, starting young, starting young. Like our boys and my father, my, say my parents are educated. My father was an educator at a, um, a predominantly, well, Miami Northwestern. You know, it's just Everybody, you know, the greatest of the greats come out of it. So, but what he found, and he he has his doctorate in education, Black boys, they love to move, right? There's a reason why um, Black men run fast and jump high, like it's in the DNA, like this studies, there's studies around that. Um, but then educational wise, sometimes that's not recognized in the classroom setting. So that's still that same student. And I had him in my third grade class that same student who's a busybody, out of the chair, always doing something, you know, maybe can't control. So it's just starting young and allowing the same things we instill in our girls. We kind of have to start instilling in our boys of getting that education very early. My, uh, my husband was a, a great football player that went off to school at, and he, he said the same thing looking back. He was like, man, I wish that someone just would have slowed me down and said, just pay attention to education. Just get educated, slow down. You can do sports as well. And I know they're doing a better job now because now you, you, you can't play sports without having a great, you know, a, a, good, uh, a good GPA. Um, but before it was kind of like you played ball and that's about all you did, right? And, and they didn't worry about the, the education side. So I would say that education piece is, is, is first. Also getting you a good partner is key. You can't do it alone. You can, you can, I will say that. It's easier if you have a sounding board. It's easier if you have a partner that can, you know, can, can float 
right? And then start, start soon. I know sometimes we having these conversations in our late 30s and saying, I want to get into real estate. Man, get into real estate in your 20s. You know, when you're or 25, when you're coming out of school and you get that first, that first paycheck, look, you if you can show them a guaranteed salary and you can get something really small, that that can be your stepping stone for the next project to the next project. Um, so those are kind of my nuggets. And, and that can go not just Black Men Sunday, that's Black Women Sundays too. It's just, you know, it's it's both folks. Yeah, and definitely, you know, it's Black Men Sundays, but Black women listen to the show. I have over 50% of people that are not people of color that listen to the show. My grandma hates me to say that because she says people of color, color people, what's the difference? So that's a later topic. We're going to get on that in a minute. But, you know, I kind of want to stay on the topic of generational wealth gap and the wealth gap. Because, you know, in our community, we talk about generational wealth, but we don't talk about generational poverty. From your perspective, as an educator, as a business owner, what can Black men do? Because a lot of times Black men, you know, when I speak to them, man, they're not giving me a job. They're not giving me this. It's almost like, and I'm not speaking for them, but from what I guess, they're looking for a handout. They're looking for an easy answer to the question on a test and you're a teacher. So, you know, that kind of fits in perfectly with you, but as black men and even black women in general that have kids that are being raised, you said start young, but financially from your point of view, what can they do at an early age to prevent the generational poverty that we've seen in our communities for generations? Exposure, 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 getting your, your, your kids out from a baby. Um, you know, when I was a teacher and I didn't have kids, I would look at the kids that were great in my classroom. And I was looking at what did that parent do, you know, to make such a great kid? Cause I said, when I have a kid, I want my kid to be like this kid. You know, I was teaching eight, nine year olds. I said, well, you know, by eight or nine, they have a great, you know, a, a personality, they have some kind of development. So what I found that, I instilled and that I instilled in my nieces and nephews and in programming across the board. And when I talk to other business, it's the exposure that we do. When you're in the grocery store and they're six months old, I kid you not, you pick up an apple and you say, hey, here's an apple. You know, I mean, just as small as that, the exposure, because on these tests, these standardized tests, it, it was so shocking to me. And I taught in Title I and non-Title I, and that's low social economic versus, you know, so I've taught all over. It was shocking to me when you say a cow and a kid has never seen a cow. Or if you say Disney and they live in, that's just like in South Florida and you say South Beach and I lived in South Florida and I'm like, we don't go to South Beach. That's for the, you know, right? It's the same thing. You know, the exposure of just, and that doesn't cost anything. And that's the thing that I tell my parents, listen, I will tell my parents in heartbeat, start teaching them, start showing them, give them money, like let them walk in the store and, and, let, and let's talk, go into the different neighborhoods and say, look at this and look at that and, you know, expose them to different career forms. Because what happens when we live in our little bubbles, we're not able to, we don't see past the bubble. You know, I have kids, I'm like, what do you want to be when you grow up? They might say a bus driver or a, um, a cashier, 
And I just say, you know, no judgment. I say, why? Oh, my grandma, she a bus driver. You know, that's because they haven't got outside their bubble. You're right. So, and I know our school systems are doing a better job of, of the exposure, traveling. I know I listened to your um, podcast and, and I, one of your guests you had um, back in June was talking about just traveling outside of the U.S. And I know that takes money and, and that's on the, the higher end, but traveling outside your community, right? I have people that haven't traveled outside of their community to see what other people live like and, and what's out there. And, and that's, that's the piece. If we can do that, that will break, I'm going to say 50% of the generational poverty because you're like, you mean I could drive that if I work a little bit harder? I don't have to take public transportation because that's what I grew up on. So that's kind of, that's just my, my, my low level of that I say to anybody is just get out there and expose, expose your kids and expose, you know, expose yourself to just different opportunities. This is Kalali Dobe. I'm from, uh, actually, I'm not living out of Prince Frederick, uh, Maryland right now. So um, have you had any thoughts of um, expanding outside of Florida? Uh, we have, um, and we've had some talks and communication um, on it. And, you know, for me, it was, you know, you know, I'm compared to some of the large um, organizations, I won't name them, um, but they're my direct competitors here. And so we've done throughout Florida, uh, we're, we're in talks with um, Alabama, you know, we got some roots in different, different places, but it was very important for me early on is to kind of package it the right way, because I didn't want to, you know, send it somewhere else. You know, we also had, you know, licensing and thinking about franchising down the road. So yes, that's definitely the growth of dramatic education side. That's when we were talking about um, the, you know, creating some wealth on the side of our great employees. Maybe we can we can take this outside of Central Florida and provide some job opportunities nationwide. So yeah, that's definitely in the works. Have you um, thought about actually charting a school around the uh, you know dramatic uh, education ethos or? If, if you listen, that must be somebody tugging at my sleeves because every time, I mean, it, it keep, it keep, that's a recurring factor. It's like, you got to do like fame school of the arts. I don't know, like that, that piece hasn't, um, it comes up. I mean, it makes sense. Right. But for me, a school impacts 800, a thousand, if you have a large one. And I just, I want it, I want our reach to be so much greater because I know that it works. I've seen that it works. We have the research. There's a national um, research that came out of um, the White House, probably uh, when Obama in the 2000s, where they did all of this research tied behind School of the Arts, right? We know that it works, but why aren't we, why isn't it growing and expanding? So that's just kind of, you know, kind of like, can we feed the, you know, you want to feed, cure world hunger. It's one of those things that, I feel like a school might be too, it's, it's too small. I mean, it may, it, I mean, it can happen, but I, I want to expand beyond um, 800, hopefully, you know? Yeah, so I got, I got one last question for you in this conversation. Um, when you were starting out, like what impossibilities did you overcome? You know what I'm saying? In order to make your, you know, in order to make your vision a reality. What complications did I not? Think about a black female in theater right? And that's not an actress. So 
everybody behind the stage does not look like me at all. So I was always from a very young age when I said I wanted to do stage management and theater management, no one looked like me. So it's like, you you know, and I, I take this from one of my mentors, you, you, you have to do because there is, no, there is no path or there is no trail before you. So you just make the mistakes and you just keep going. But there was always something that bugged me that was like, just keep going. Even when I hit a brick wall, you know, and from partnerships that dissolved from um, financially, uh, I mean, you're just going to hit these roadblocks, roadblocks in there, you know, for somebody saying, you know, you can't, or you're up against, like, I, I, I tell people all the time, I used to beg these big players for contracts, because remember I tell you, I can, I do the arts portion, so I would go knock on their door, hey, listen, I can make your organization look good, and now I am that organization, and I'm at the sit that I'm sitting at the table looking at them like I know you remember me knocking on your window asking you for the next contract, you know, and that's what it took, right? And you telling me you didn't have the money, and you couldn't do it, and just me finding another way, and that's why you know when we said for profit, nonprofit, me finding another way, saying you know nonprofit is not the only way; it is a way. Um, it might be a way that I'm gonna you know venture down again, but just just keep finding a way when there's no way. Um, and I know your your brother being an actor, he knows that because you get that audition, you might not land it, but you got to go, you got to wake up and do the next audition and yeah. the next one. And yeah. eventually you're going to land it. Right. And that, and that's what, that's, that's literally what business is about. Eventually you're going to land it. The plane's going to land or the, the break is going to happen. But what happens in our community, sometimes we stop too soon, you know, it, it gets too hard and you're like, well, no, maybe, maybe this is the universe telling me not to, but I'm telling you the if the universe is saying, keep moving forward and there's a drive and some, and you keep getting a few yeses, those yeses will pick up momentum. And that's just great. That's, that's some great, great gems you drop in there. So yeah, definitely appreciate, definitely appreciate you coming and, uh, and talking to us. It's been excellent uh, listening to you today. Thank you. So I know you and your husband work together great as a team, pull your resources together to actually start a business outside of your old profession. Do you have any tips on couples or individuals uh, from where they're at right now with their current job, what resources they pull from, either 401k or IRA or something like that? And have you ever heard of an index universal life insurance policy that you guys will borrow from to um, service capital for your business growth? So transparently, no, I haven't heard of the index. No. Okay. Um, but I will say there's there's no right or wrong. I mean, if you guys can work together to create something, then of course it's I ideal. Um, but you know, me and my husband are polar opposites, right? I'm the creative, crazy lady, drama lady is what they call me, right? And he's very level-headed. He, he has a big commercial cleaning company. So polar opposites, but those two ventures operating separately creates the revenue to, you know, it, you know build on something else, uh, you know, on, in real estate you would be, for example, when I left, you know, definitely leaning on his income was very important for the success for the, of the business, because then everything that I brought in could go right back into the business. And I wasn't using that money for me, you know, for our family to survive, because sometimes 
that happens. You're spinning your wheel. You need to bring in some money, but you also got to pay your rent, right? Um, so just having some something there, and that could be a nest egg. And I can tell you, you know, this before I I worked, you know, I had my business, and I still had a full time job, and I put away, and I put away, and I was very strategic. And uh, as a teacher, you can do a four hundred three b, which means when you leave, that money is not held in retirement. And so I was fully invested and I took my 403B and that's what I used to, um, to propel the business, right? You take a small penalty, but you know, you leave a little bit. So you kind of just have to, that's where you start trying to think, okay, maybe this is not my last stop, right? Always think if this is not my last stop. And that's what I was thinking, you know, my first year when they made you sign up and it was like, oh, you can do the vested plan and you make more money, or you can do this plan, that means after five years, your money, you can take it with you. Oh, oh, I want that option. I want to be able to take it with me. Um, and that gave the opportunity without me trying to seek out, you know, maybe investors or personal loans or um, things like that, which, you know, which is our, our options. Um, but, you know, you can use some other strategic things to, to make your dreams come true. Okay, thanks for that. Uh, yeah, I would encourage people check out the index universal life plan though because there are other ways to go about getting that capital as well that yeah. i'm just learning about uh the last question i have is i heard you mention expanding your business i think Kalila mentioned uh possibly uh suggesting that you you basically do something like that too do you have a general rule or um you know plan for expanding the business that you could share um, for other people that may want to expand their business and kind of grow it a little bit plan your business as if you're not in it because then it can go beyond you. Very early on when dramatic education started, I wasn't the one teaching because I was full-time teaching. So on the weekend, I would record myself teaching classes and that video I would show on the weekends and I would train 10, 15 other people how to do that. But I started off with, it was not just me in the business so that you got to set your plan up if you want learn long term to be I want this to be nationwide okay but you want to start building it to be nationwide and that also means which I get on uh, you know I will say setting up an accountant setting up you know not it being personally funded through your money you know through your bank account right like what was very important early on and now this is the nugget very important books being right because when I got that major contract with the big boys when they opened up my books they were clean I had a, an accountant very early on and she charged me a hundred bucks a month it was you can find people out there that will help you so I set up an account early on it wasn't they weren't writing checks to Marsha Robbins they weren't writing checks to, you know it was too dramatic ed in a dramatic ed account I did not swipe my grocery bill with my debit card. You can't because when they start opening up your books and they start seeing your rent coming out, oh, it just it your profit and loss sheet, your balance sheet is your life story. And I can tell you hands down to my account, she's been with me for conception over 15 years. And that's the one she's like, Marsha, she would see. I think I would think one time I went to Macy's, I had to give me a pair of shoes. And she caught me. She said, I said, that's a costume. <laughs> she was like, they don't sell costumes. You know, she said, Marsha, I'm going to tell you early on, do not do it. Keep it clean. Let's keep it clean. And then when we, and I did it 10 times over. 
Culver's cleaning commercial. Keep it clean. Do not swipe your card. Try your best. I don't care if you take a little bit of cash and you move it over to your personal. You want to keep your books and your profit and loss sheet. That will that will take you. So when you talk about investments and, and money and getting grants, from, they look at all those things. I mean, they truly do. And that read that financial history and record of how you do business is very important. So, I mean, I guess we can end with that because I'm telling you, if you, if you set up that the right way, I mean, you can walk in anybody's door. That's what, that's what I love about, because when the last, the last brother who said, well, how did you do? Because when I opened up my balance sheet, when they see me and they say, oh, it's black female in theater. Really? Yeah. But open up my balance sheet and they like, oh, okay. You're doing things the right way, the right. And now you're playing, you're, you can play with the big boys. You can buy a building because when they're starting to pull your, your records for the last six months, they see, okay, you, you got this coming in and this going out. And that does not mean you don't have dips. That does not mean I wasn't affected by COVID, right? So I'm not going to say I'm, I'm, I'm balling, right? I'm not, it, it just says that when, you know, and, oh, you know, that's theory, I got to add my, my theatrics in there, but, you know, but that just means when you have dips, when that dip happened, did you adjust, right? They can see I had to lay off a hundred employees, but they also saw that I brought my employees back gradually. And I, you know, the income started to match. I wasn't trying to do it, you know, irreversibly. So you, you really need a strong team that, that can, that can direct you to say, Hey, no, yes, keep it clean. Um, and, and that'll take you, that'll take you a long way. That'll take you generational wealth because you're not hiding your money or you're not mismanaging your money. Okay. Thanks for that advice. Cause a lot of people they're in business. They don't even know what a cash flow statement is a balance sheet income statement, just the basics. So, you know, I guess we want to encourage everyone just to learn the basics, basic language of accounting. That's if you're right. Doing business. And I had to learn it, you know, mm-hmm. you had, you how did you learn it though? Your, your local um, chambers, they have, you know, you can, I picked up classes because I got a master's in education. I was like, I can't go back to school. I really can't. My brother, my brother has a, a, a MBA. He was like, sis, I'm like, you know what I did, brother? Give me your books. My sister is in finance for, a big, I said, sis, give me your books. Because you I said, I started reading their MBA book. Okay. And that's how I learned it. Or I went to a few classes and I started, I just listened. Okay. Yep. And then you just, you kind of learn and you, cause you can't, you can't walk this. The first meeting you might get past, but that third and fourth, you really, you got to really understand what your balance sheet says. Like you're saying, you know, you got to be able to speak the language and with, with YouTube and all these different platforms that we have and you, you, you can learn it pretty quickly. Can I have a, can I ask a question of James? Because I keep looking at his two kids and I work with kids all the time. Like, so what does he do to instill in his kids, you know, generational wealth or entrepreneurship or business? Because I like to hear from you know, like what what parents are doing. Because I, you know, I learn from what others do with their children. Um, I appreciate you too, uh, Queen, for just coming through and and blessing us with this knowledge and stuff. Like I said, I'm, I'm out here working and grinding right now, but I've been listening in and um. You know, to answer your question, what I do as far as uh, instilling generational wealth in my children is I took a course about five years ago that changed my life. Uh, it's called Financial Peace University. So I, um, I'm completely debt free. 
you know, my business was all funded through my own capital. And I always make sure that my my boys, you know, they just know the simple, you know, the simple things about money, which is you give, you save and you spend, you know, in that order. So, you know, they're 12 and nine. And as far as just, you know, not going into the complexity of it, I just keep it simple with them. Just, hey, look, when you get money, you understand that you got to give a portion of it to God. You got to, you know, be willing to give to others. And then you also got to save for yourself and then you spend the rest. And, you know, I don't, I don't really, I don't really touch bases on them with investing and things like that. As of right now, that's what I instill in them, you know, just the, the biblical ways of, of, of how we should deal with money, which, you know, the bar is slave to the lender and, you know, a true man will leave an inheritance to his children's children. So, you know, that's definitely my goal. That's definitely what I, you know, what I'm going to strive to do. And, um, and that's, that's, that's what I, that's what I instill in my children and my boys. Amazing. See, see how you could just learn. See, now if I was your boy's teacher, I would be looking like, see, what is it? What is the dad doing to get, have great boys? That's what I did. I'm like, okay, so this one did this and this one did this and you put it all together and you got a recipe for great, great kids. And that's, that's amazing. I like that. That's a gym right there. Thank you, Marsha, for coming on Black Men Sundays. You could have been anywhere in the world, but you were here with us today, giving us gems, giving us tools, giving the brothers that have kids tools on educating their kids, giving them tips, giving business tips to the business owners, to the brothers that have houses, to the brothers that are renters that don't know what to do with their money. You dropped a lot of gems on us today. This Black Men Sundays, but like I tell you, we have sisters on the show too. Marsha, I hope you enjoyed your time on the show today. Thanks for coming on Black Men Sunday, sister. Did you have a good time? I did. Thank you for having me on. Check it.